super duper superstitious. The super duper superstitious. Final podcast. We're gonna talk about stuff. Yeah. And we record a new episode every every single day. Every single day. Single day for forever. Forever. Uh, but the episodes y- will come out. Yep. Every other year. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so if you're listening still, then cool. Hi, I'm Jake. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm Wyatt. He's Wyatt. If you observe the Julian calendar, this is the first episode of the new year. And if you observe the Julianne calendar, keep chopping. <laughs> I think so. In theory, this is the day this episode is coming out. is the first day you're back in town again, which is pretty cool. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's rough doing you know, this, this frequently. Just We're try uh, just banking all the apps before uh, it's before. November twentieth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this like a month and a half ahead of time. So yeah. So you're our, welcome, everyone. If you thought we were loopy last winter when we were recording, I think just two in one night. It turns out we get even loopier when we record several in just every single day. That's right, exactly. I am glad we didn't record them all the same day. That might have been just a that little. That would have been too... impossible. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I'll have to try it next time. Yeah, we will. This episode today comes from a listener suggestion from Layla. Shout out to Layla in the UK. Thank you, Layla, uh, for suggesting the topic I'll be covering. Um, but the theme that it kind of lends itself to is sort of uh, trans-dimensional peoples. Yeah, and just weird alternate realities kind of stuff, maybe mm-hmm. that sort of thing. We did actually talk yesterday about the idea of the Berenstain Bears whole deal, uh, which maybe I'm the only one who distinctly remembers it being the Berenstain Bears. That's right. This was over dinner that the Berenstain Bears, many people think it is the Berenstain or the Berenstain Bears, but in fact... It's not. It is Berenstain. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different thing. That's part of the Mandela effect. Um, Tell everyone what that means, Jake. Um, a lot of people, for some reason, remember distinctly Nelson Mandela dying in prison, which did not happen. He did, though. Uh, I see what you did there, Wyatt. Except it's funny because like, we're kind of young for that, so... Of course, when yeah. apartheid was happening. Um, I remember it like it was, what, 40, 30 years ago? No, I don't think it was that 20. long ago. Let's see. It was yesterday. Apartheid. That's into the early 1990s. Oh, okay. Remember it like we were old enough to remember it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, anyway, so alternate dimension stuff. Cool. Well, I'll just get going into it. Yeah, I think you're kicking us off today, Jake. I am Jake. indeed. So uh, this is the story of um, a, a weird thing. <laughs> One of the stranger unsolved mysteries of the 20th century doesn't involve UFOs or strange creatures or anything of the like, but doesn't make the occurrence any less strange. This uh, What I have here comes from a combination of AnomalyInfo.com and uh, Week in Weird. So the year 1954 was hotter than normal in Tokyo, hmm. but at Haneda Airport it was business as usual. That is, of course, until one unknown date when a routine European inbound plane dropped off its passengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the crowd made its way through customs, a neatly dressed middle-aged Caucasian man stepped up and told officials this was just a normal business trip for him, one of three so far this year to Japan. His primary language was French, uh, yet he spoke Japanese and several other languages. In his wallet was a variety of currencies from various European countries as if to verify his frequent flyer tendencies. Uh, but when they asked him for his country of origin, things became strange. Mm. He, casually, he casually stated that he was from Tared on the border between France and Spain. Officials told him that Tared doesn't exist, but he presented them with his passport, issued by the country of Tared. Uh. 
Weird. As the authorities tried to locate information on Tared, the traveler started to become angry. It reiterated that this was his third trip that very year to Japan for his company, and that he'd been making such trips for the past five years. Therefore, he couldn't understand what the delay could be with approving his trip. His passport indeed also showed visa stamps corroborating his previous business travels to Japan and other countries. What? Uh, yet when they called the company he said he was having a meeting with, they had never heard of him or his company ever before that moment. The hotel he had reserved a room at had no reservation for such a person, and the bank listed on his checkbook appeared not to exist. Huh. To make matters weirder still, the man was genuinely shocked that he could not find his country on a world map presented to him. He stated that his country was located where the map showed the Principality of Andorra, along with parts of France and Spain, and that Tourette had existed for almost a thousand years, so it should have been on the map. He insisted that this must be some sort of very elaborate practical joke. Right. There's no such place as Andorra, he insisted. So not surprisingly, he soon demanded to talk to government officials to clear the matter up. He couldn't be detained in the airport's room forever. The airport authorities arranged for a room for the man at a nearby hotel that he could wait at while the matter was being handled. Uh, two immigration officials were set to guard the room. The traveler was not to leave until authorities had made a decision on the whole problem. He was served dinner in his room and soon went to sleep. Been a long, perplexing day for him, after all. Weird. He told that his country doesn't exist and then uh, shown a map that confirms that his country doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Though the door to the room was guarded all night, the strange man was gone when they checked by morning. Uh, the only other exit to the room was a ledless window high above a busy street. Doesn't say, but presumably there were no splatter marks on the ground below. So, uh, yeah, the traveler was gone. Never to be heard from again. Which maybe solved the immediate problem for the officials. Like, what do we do with this guy? Like, ah, all right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it left the larger one for the world. Who was the man from Tared? Mm, the end. <laughs> the end. So there's just been a lot of speculation. People wondering, like, what that could have been. Like, oh, was it just some kind of weird mistranslation of the place he was from? Sure. Right. Why would it be so impossible to identify? Right. Why would he be so perplexed by the idea of Andorra? And why, like, why is that country where my country is supposed to be? That's not my country. Mm -hmm. Because if he spoke multiple languages, surely he would recognize the name of his country in a different language. Man, yeah, right, exactly. I mean, it does seem almost like a con act or something. Yeah, people wondered if maybe he was just, like, making shit up. But it seems like, you know, if you could obtain a fake passport of some kind and make everything seem so legit... Why would you choose a place that is going to immediately make people say, well, wait, what? <laughs> Why did, not just say, oh, yeah, I'm from France. Did he give his name? Was there a name mentioned in the story? There was never a name mentioned, no. That's strange. I feel like you would have a name. Probably there would have been a name, but um, in the reports of it, there is no name given um, as far as the retellings of this event. Do they keep these kinds of records? Presumably they do. Um, probably. It would be the kind of thing, especially such a, a strange occurrence, you'd think it would be a pretty noteworthy for them to like document that notice if anyone else comes from Tarret, i guess right uh, right other people think you know maybe this guy was like mentally ill in some way and, right i mean how again would he have a passport <laughs> like he could be insisting he was from some place that he wasn't and genuinely believe it himself but how would he have you know things that would kind of official government documents and yeah things. physical evidence basically confirming his story right so of course, the internet goes very hard in the direction of, well, he must have come from an alternate reality. I mean, like, there's no other answer. Yeah, somehow either the plane passed through some sort of dimensional rift, or um, <laughs> or he himself like was on some kind of parallel plane in another 
alternate universe and the mm-hmm. those universes happened to get close enough together and the similar enough circumstances somehow caused him to switch into the plane in our reality hopefully he got um, an upgrade in his seat yes. that's what happened <laughs> And the plane landed and he was not in the same world he knew right. before. But then somehow by morning he uh, returned again mm-hmm. or something. Quantum leapt away somewhere. Well, I guess that wouldn't work that way because the body would still be there. Yeah, that's not how that works. Quantum leap. Scott Bakula. Anyway, <laughs> so it's just a really odd thing that happened or did it happen, Wyatt? That's, it seems, that's my wonder. It does as well. seem like with the level of strangeness that comes with it, there had to have been some kind of, like, yeah, you said some kind of documentation of it happening. Um, you know, records kept uh, right. more information right. than just a guy with a passport. Probably, like you said, a name. He was described as being, yeah, middle-aged, Caucasian, had a beard, but mm. really no more description than that. Mm-hmm. He could have been Gordon Freeman, maybe. From from Half-Life? Half-Life. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, what the hell happened? Um, the initial report of the incident comes from uh, Colin Wilson's book, The Directory of Possibilities, Ooh. which is a goofy-sounding book. Published well before the internet was a thing. So this is not just an internet story, but an older paranormal mystery that may never be solved. As far as it's not just something that originated on the internet, like your standard mm-hmm. um, uh, spooky spaghettis or whatnot. Right. right. Um, that said, while it's true that the strange event of the man from Tarred was first published before the internet was a major factor mm. in paranormal mythmaking, mm-hmm. this obviously isn't proof that the event happened. Just because, I mean, you can make up a story any time period. It doesn't have to be on the internet for it to be fake <laughs> yes um, it's true it seems Turns more out. believable that like oh it's in print that's a lot more tangible than um you know just something on a web page somewhere it's that much more real yes uh, in fact most sites referencing the previous printed existence of the account in both wilson's directory of possibilities and later in tom sleeman's strange but true mysterious and bizarre people uh, fail to actually state exactly what these two books actually say about it they just say that oh it's first mentioned in this book and this book Mm-hmm. Um, so let's have a look what's actually in those books. All right. The Directory of Possibilities was first published in 1981, 27 years after the 1954 event would have happened, mm-hmm. and is essentially a collection of short articles on various claims of paranormal events. Mm. Although the book was edited by Colin Wilson, the entry that concerns us here, called Appearing People, was written by Paul Begg, who was well known at the time for his book into thin air which is about mysterious disappearances so he's for sure the sort of person you'd expect to write about something like this mostly he writes about mysterious disappearances now he's writing about the opposite kind of his statement regarding the incident of the man from Tarette is just one sentence long huh. quote in 1954 a passport check in japan is alleged to have produced a man with papers issued by the nation of Tarette. And on we go. That's it. Yep. So that's not quite the same as the story I just told. He's like, anyway, so I was talking about shoes before. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, also, Beg gave no sources for his article. He mm. just said, oh, yeah, there's a report of this happening. That's kind of weird, right? And just moved on. Weird. Yeah. It's very weird. So then the other book that people tend to refer to is Tom Sleeman's book, Strange But True, colon. Mm-hmm. Strange But True, colon. Mysterious and Bizarre <laughs> People. It was published in uh, 1999. Uh, given the time between oh, the two printings quite of the an auspicious story, year. Yeah, did anything happen that year? Mm, I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember if any major uh, groundbreaking motion pictures might have... Um, the Matrix happened. Uh, yeah. uh, given the time between the two printings of the story, you might expect that some further information had been acquired in that time. But Sleeman covered the story in just one paragraph this time. Okay. It's a little bit more. There have been many reports of visitors from other planets dropping in on Earth. 
1954, the Japanese authorities detained a man trying to enter the country with a passport that revealed he was from an unheard of country named Tared. Mm-hmm. A thorough check was made by the customs official to see if there was such a place anywhere on earth, but they drew a blank. The stranger refused to throw light on the whereabouts of the mysterious nation of Tared hmm. and quickly left Japan. So here, the additional information that the stranger offered no helpful information and left mm-hmm. isn't really any sort of addition at all to the story. And it's still, again, a very long way from the story that I told before. A lot more detail on that as far as all the different little things that happened. Sleeman also gives no source for the story. So there's, again, no reason to assume that it came from anywhere except maybe just he got it from Wilson's book in this case. Yeah, true. Like it came up before, so maybe he just like added a little Scabbed bit more information. It. Yeah. Right. So that thought it was interesting and added a I mean you could those say are, a little bit of it. Those are the only two original sources. As far as every internet article about it goes, I see. apparently those are the two everyone references. Like these huh. are the two reports of it. Mm-hmm. So if the two earliest references to the man from Tourette offer basically no information, yeah. Where did the full story come from? Mm-hmm. So while many internet sites repeated the basic story of the man from Tourette as laid out by Wilson and Sleeman, the earliest occurrence of the extended version of the story, upon which you know this one that I read from is based, um, is an April 2012 posting in the Before It's News website by Terrence Aim. And it's from that posting that, yeah, this um, author, whose name is Garth Haslam, summarized the <laughs> account that I read. Garth Haslam is the proprietor of AnomalyInfo.com. So he wrote this particular article Mm -hmm. that I am mostly reading from. Mm -hmm. In presenting the longer account, AIM explained that, quote, parts of the story were related in several books about the weird and strange published during the 1950s, and then implied he had gathered together the details from these accounts to garner the fuller story. Mm -hmm. He does not, however, name any of these 1950s sources for the story. The only source he actually mentions is an online 2007 posting of Tom Sleeman's chapter on appearing people from his strange but true book, mm-hmm. which includes the paragraph on the man from Tourette that I read. Hmm. This is a problem, of course, because every copy of the story that comes from Ames article is just a retelling or expansion of Ames article. And since Ames doesn't state what his sources were, <laughs> right. he doesn't have any. So it's, oh, uh, yeah, it seems kind of like it's like a, a snowball. little kind of, yeah, granule of interesting idea and then people keep adding on to mm-hmm. it and then this one guy adds a bunch to it and then people have something to actually something more meaty to work with and then they keep adding to that so kind of a beautiful um case study in how a legend is born totally from- yeah especially because it's not like it's really outlandish it's just very odd mm-hmm. it's not full-on like whoa there's this crazy thing this happening oh man in like, from, yeah. yeah space big bright flash of light and something there was a guy and he right. had a passport yeah, he just got off a plane yeah the one like weird addition was him disappearing from his hotel room that is strange. afterward because like if the initial version said nothing about it at all the the follow-up version just said that he left japan mm-hmm. like okay he just like, left now how about he left but like he vanished that's a little right. more interesting so it's adding a little <laughs> bit more of a, a twist to it but still not really embellishing right t- too much uh it's just like oh huh okay so the idea that, you know, AIM in his article didn't have any sources is likely for another reason. Hmm. Um, Haslam, the guy who wrote this thing I'm reading from, has been unable to track any mention of the incident earlier than Wilson's 1981 Directory of Possibilities. Hmm. So the only real evidence that the incident might have occurred is the single sentence from that book. 
Oh, man. If something weird like that had really happened, like you said, there should be records, but right. if nothing else, there should at least be like one newspaper saying, hey, check out this, this odd weird. thing that happened. And in yeah. the 50s, that's the kind of thing that people were like, oh, yeah, this is Dying super interesting. For that kind of news. So that's yeah. the kind of stuff that was super popular at the time, like crazy right. sci-fi things. Right. So, of course, that would have been covered somewhere. The Directory of Possibilities in its further readings section credits Paul Begg not just for his book on mysterious disappearances into thin air, but also mentioned he had an upcoming book tentatively called Out of Thin Air, People Who Appeared from Nowhere. Hmm. So like, oh, that sounds like the perfect thing. It probably it would elaborate on this there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, any further reference to The Man from Tarred would have to be in that book. But ironically, the book itself never appeared. What? So perhaps uh, the book uh, was released in a different reality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very odd. Begg went on to write many other books, largely based on true crimes and history, but he never published any books on mysterious appearances. Only Begg would know for sure if he had a valid source for his brief mention of the Tourette incident, but perhaps the fact he never came back to the story is an answer in itself. <laughs> nice. I mean, people who are diehard believers in the idea that, oh, alternate realities, like different universes and stuff, will then maybe take the, you know, the Mandela effect idea of it and mm-hmm. say, oh, well, maybe... Oh, I didn't actually follow up on what that actually means. It's the idea that people remembering a thing that didn't happen, remembering it very clearly, remembering it along with a lot of other people, and thinking, well, if that's not what happened, then how do we all th- remember it happening? Is there some kind of like alternate history where it did happen, and we just kind of all warped over together to this other universe where it uh, didn't for yes. some reason, or right. where for some reason it's spelled Baron Stein instead of Baron Stain? Like, why is <laughs> what's right. Baron Stain? Well, that doesn't make any sense. It's the family's name who wrote the book. So this is people who are claiming this kind of thing happened could also maybe then take it a step further and say, well, you know, maybe in the reality where this was uh, published and stuff where that happened, uh, that book ended up coming out and stuff. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you can write whatever tale you want pretty much to yourself. You could take it several steps further and say that maybe the reason we have no record of this happening other than these books is that in the reality where the book was written, this had happened. This transdimensional yes, thing had happened. Exactly. And then the book made the it book into made our it reality. Over. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Three different possible <laughs> realities involved. The one where Tarad is a thing, the one where a guy from it arrived, and then the one where we read about it. Where we read about it. Or we could just say we're in the reality where none of those things happened, and yet the book does. This this story exists. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, that sounds like probably the most parsimonious <laughs> yes. possible explanations. <laughs> Makes the fewest assumptions. I mean, I might just be making that up. but I could be. Yeah, you might be full of shit. Oh, man. But uh, that is the very fun and interesting story of the man from Tarred. So thank you, Layla, for, for mentioning that one. I th- yes, indeed. When you had mentioned it, I thought I had heard of something like it. I was thinking of an entirely different thing, which was actually, I think, a movie, hmm. which uh, I'm not sure, but some guy claiming to be from a different planet and being absolutely certain he was from there and very serious about it and seeming to be perfectly sane and healthy but claiming to 100 percent be from a different planet but it turns out at the end he's just a dog (laughs) that's the one i think i saw that one too (laughs) anyway that's what i got before we uh move on i uh yeah i was gonna say i'm itching i'm itching i can see you scratching as well yep i feel like the only way i'll feel better feel whole again maybe is if we try another (laughs) segment of uh shadowlands roulette oh my god i know we often say things at the same time but 
I didn't even expect to say it at the same time as you. There's that definitely time. no prep. There's no making eye contact across the room and trying to time what we're going to say. Try it several times. Nope, that was our first time. Just we got it. Got it, in it together. So I see the wheels have rolled into the room on the, of their own accord. The, For some reason, I don't find this strange. Also, the this weird scraping of heavy giant disc of metal sliding its way into the room. That is the cursed coin. That's right, leaving its now typical trail of sort of pinkish red sludge Viscous, behind. Yeah. So uh, Shadowlands Roulette is a game we play. It's a fun, good time. That's it's just really makes good. Us feel good. We don't get additional gray hairs every single time. Nope. Uh, it's not slowly draining our life's essence. It refers to a very old website called theshadowlands.net, which um, <laughs> is a collection of a bunch of very chilling user-submitted ghost stories from around the yes, world that encounters people have had. I'm pretty sure the page gurgled up from hell back in 1999. Actually, it's even older than that, I think, because we would have remembered if it came out the same year. That's apartheid. It says 1999 or four, 94. Did I say 99? You did. I meant 94. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Whoa. Huh? I just went to another part of the Shadowlands. Uh-oh. Slash ghost. Oh, Wyatt, are you okay? Should we go together? <laughs> it's killing me! <laughs> um, so the website is old. 94, it's got, excuse 94, yes. me. It's an old website. It's full of strange things. We <laughs> um, we got these wheels, these sort of <laughs> prices Right Showcase Showdown style wheels. Made out of bones and... See, I originally thought they were just made of, like, maybe plastic and wood or something, but oh. the more... The more time we spend with them, the more I realize that they do seem to have a much more macabre quality to them. It's true, they do. We uh, flip the accursed coin to determine which of the two wheels we spin. Mm -hmm. One refers to a bunch of different states in the U.S. Yes, we have the uh, dreaded wheel of states. And then the other wheel is... Um, the repulsive wheel of other countries. <laughs> <laughs> yep. One of us flips a coin to determine which wheel the other will spin. Spin that wheel, determine which country or state to read from, and then, then we'll go, go to, to that, that page, page, randomly select a story from it, and then read it, and it's usually the terrifying. most terrifying story you've so ever brace, heard. So brace your butts. Do you have any preference who flips first and who reads first? Let's do our old game of rock, paper, scissors. Rock, okay. paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, oh. <laughs> so we did I, both scissors. It's more of a quick draw kind of version of rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, paper scissors, scissors, shoot. shoot. Oh my god. Rock, rock paper, paper, scissors, shoot. shoot. Okay. Oh, I won one. Rock, paper, okay, scissors, shoot. shoot. And I've won the second. Okay, so. I could have just arbitrarily and just yep. willed it that I won, but I actually <laughs> did. So I will, I guess, flip the coin for you. Sure. All right, here we go. Grab this thing up here. And, uh. <laughs> and right, we have the dreaded Wheel of States. Wheel Jake. of States. All right, I will, uh. Get all up on that wheel. Let me just set this down, or I guess I can. Yeah, yeah. You want to hold it? Sure. And then just I have both mics now. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I know you feel special holding both. Yes, so I do. Climb up on here. All right. Um. Ready for that? There we go. And all right. Ah! Ooh. It's going. It's going. Going and going. I grab that back from you. Um, where are we landing? Here we got Alaska. Alaska. Very cool. Cool. All right. So let's see what we got in old Alaska. A surprising number of stories here. That's pretty hmm. cool. So I'm going to scroll around and I landed on Sitka. Rookie's Corner. The old Kiskadi Corner. A woman was struck and killed on the blind corner outside this well-known watering hole in southeast Alaska. Yikes. 
It used to be known as the Kick or Kicksadi Club. Uh, I misread it the first time. But now it is Rookies, a sports bar. <laughs> the story is that oh, the woman. Gosh. Yes. The woman left the bar and was extremely drunk. She tried to wander into town on her own, which was a common thing in this small town. Often a cab could be flagged or someone just like just taxis just cruising around in Alaska somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, or someone who knew you would pick you up along the way. She staggered onto the road on the wounds that she... Oh, sorry, I skipped a line. Um, she staggered onto <laughs> the road on the blind corner and was literally run over by a young man who had been drinking as well and driving a truck. Oh, no. She was so drunk that she actually got up despite the terrible traumatic wounds that she had received. Mm. She weaved about, screaming and dying, not fully aware of what had happened to her. There were several witnesses to this tragedy since the bar was closing. Hundreds of people were around. Several? The big bar, yeah. Several hundred people. You yeah. know. Uh, climbing into their vehicles and gathering for an after-hours party. Okay. I guess that's just an unrelated. There were that many people around for that reason. I got the cause and effect confused there. But she only had only several of them witnessed this. Yes, it was a horrific scene. Since then, there have been stories of an apparition of the woman seen on that blind corner, weaving in and out of the road. She supposedly has appeared to people who are driving under the influence of alcohol, prompting even brave men to park on the side of the road and flag a cab. Also, mm. there are stories that in the early pre-dawn hours. Terrible moans and death cries can be heard in the same area. Ugh. The cries seem to be emanating from the bushes that are the cause of the corner being blind. Wow. My chilling. goodness. Absolutely chilling. <laughs> Absolutely chilling. Want me to flip the coin now, Wyatt? Yes. Okay, let me get this thing and flip it. You know, it is pretty heavy, but I feel like we've got a lot of good exercise out of flipping this thing all the time. It's true. I'm realizing now, I'm watching you pick it up, that your fingers actually mush into the coin itself. It seems like... Yeah, I don't like to think about it so much because the kind of pulsatingness of the coin is... It's just it's kind of off-putting. Oh, but, God. All right, so, <laughs> all right, here we go. Go for it. Yeah. All right, got to flip. And you will be spinning the dreaded Wheel of States as well, my all friend. All right, you want to take my... Microphone. Microphone. All right. Now I have both mics. Mm. You're such a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to climb on up there? Alrighty. I got it all warmed up for you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, here we go. Go for it. Yeah. Very, very nice. Nicely done, my friend. And it's going to be North, North Dakota. Dakota. All right. Cool. I wonder if they That's even one have of my a story. Top two favorite Dakotas. I prefer East Dakota. <laughs> Shut up, Wyatt. <laughs> I have a bunch of stories, actually. Oh, interesting. Let's go Let's with that. Grand Forks, University of North Dakota, Stacker Hall. Hmm. In parentheses, technology department. <laughs> <laughs> Several students have witnessed an apparition of an arm laying on the floor out of a doorway in the second floor graphics dark room. Each student described the arm as a man's arm, appearing sporadically throughout the year and visible both during day and night time. <laughs> a professor conducted soundings of the building and discovered abnormalities on the second floor, tracing them back to the dark room film developing closets. Most students, without any knowledge of the ghost's existence, report a feeling of being watched and a brooding presence. Being watched by an arm laying on the floor. Yes. 
Other students have experienced a floral perfume scent wafting through the second floor computer lab during downtimes for the school and experienced a sense of being watched by a young woman? Hmm. The second ghost moves throughout the computer lab area, causes small breezes in an air-controlled room. Wow. Oh, the end. That is very frightening. I, yeah. I'm curious what kind of soundings the professor performed. He performed like, soundings. He's going around and uh, I know, like tapping on stuff. Yeah. Or if he's just like... Ooh, uh, it sounds like ghosts in here. <laughs> seeing how deep each room is. It's real abnormal. Like sounder. Interesting. Very wow. scientific, it sounds like. Very, yes. I like that they included the history of, uh, you know, the building itself. Any events that may have transpired in the past to... Yeah, any reason there might have been... Produce... Either of those ghosts. Either ghost, each of which was very, very thoroughly described and uh, introduced clearly. Yep. For um, example, they did answer my question before I had the chance to ask it of... When people see the arm on the floor, they go to check if someone's laying down in there or something. That's they right. They go to check if... Uh, they, yeah, they, they address that perfectly, so... I also appreciate how the fact of a certain character in a story can be introduced purely by some other thing that just happens to be associated with them. Yep. Such as a smell. Mm-hmm. That's a whole new ghost, suddenly. So, yeah. That, that was, was a very <laughs> solid and wonderful um, <laughs> a story there. And a Thank pretty you. great example of the high-quality thrills and chills you get from an episode of... Shadowlands Roulette. That time we timed it. Anyway, <laughs> well, that was good. I think I'm ready to tell my tale. I think it's yeah time we move on to another good old weird story. So, what I was able to dig up was the Green Children of Woolpit, a.k.a. Shrek and Fiona definitely fucked at some point. <laughs> gross, Wyatt. So, it's gross. So, legends in England tell that sometime during the reign of King Stefan, which was from around 1135 to 1154... He was Urkel's alter ego, right? I'm not familiar enough. Okay, never mind. Two strange children were found near the village of Woolpit, England. Uh, Mm -hmm. Workers were harvesting their fields when they heard frightened cries. Investigating, they discovered two children, a boy and a girl, terrified and huddled near one of the many wolf pits the village was named for. Oh. Yep, they just kept wolves in pits back then. Okay. Or is it they make pits to try and, like... To try and capture them, yeah. Yes. Yes, that is what they did. <laughs> That's sad. It was not just a strange <laughs> pet thing. The children were screaming in an unknown language, and their clothes were made of a strange-looking, unknown material. Otter still... Both children had green skin. Hmm. The two green children were taken to the home of a man named Richard de Colney, where the local populace attempted to take care of them. But the children refused to eat or drink anything that was offered until someone brought in some fresh bean stalks. Hmm. The children eagerly grabbed these and opened the stalks, but when they saw these empty, they started to cry. When shown that the beans were in the pods instead, the children quickly ate their fill and ate nothing else for some time after. Hmm. Soon after the green children were found, the boy sickened and died. Jesus. But, but the girl became healthy and hearty, and eventually... She became stronger as he died. <laughs> consuming the body, she <laughs> doubled in size. Ate his heart and gained all his courage. Exactly. Uh, she eventually loses the green hue to her skin. When she learned the local language, what she told of her origins only deepened the mystery. She said that she and her brother had come from a land with no son called St. Martin's Land. The people there, all green, lived in a perpetual twilight. 
When she was asked how she had come to be found outside the pit, she could only say that she and her brother had heard bells, become entranced, and then the two of them were in the pit and could see the light from the mouth of it. Hmm. Though the girl lived long after her discovery, eventually marrying a local man, she was never able to give any further help in solving the mystery of her and her brother's origins, nor of their odd arrival in Woolpit. And she soon left Japan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Back to Toreg. So the story of the green children of Woolpit can be found in a large number of books today, but these draw on just three sources primarily containing the original story. Also, I want to note I am drawing all of this uh, slightly edited from anomalyinfo.com. I think you just mentioned that that as well. That's funny. Hilarious. Um, And uh, thanks, Garth. A bunch from Wikipedia. Yeah, really. So yeah, the story of the green children of Woolpit can be found in a large number of books. Uh, but these draw on just three sources containing the original story. Most modern versions of the story are derived from Thomas Kitely's The Fairy Mythology, published in 1850, which gets the story from the two earliest extant sources. Hmm. These earliest two sources are from around the year 1200, written around 60 years after the time the green children are said to have been found. They are Historia Rerum Anglicarum by William of Newburgh, and Chronicum Anglicanum by Ralph of Cogshall Abbey. Hmm. Or maybe Cogshall, I don't know. Cogshall or... Cogshall? Yeah. I have uh, no fucking idea. Cogish Shahel. <laughs> uh, it is William's account of the green children of Woolpit that places the event as happening within the reign of King Stephen. Uh, since there was only one King Stephen, this narrows, or Stephen, this narrows the occurrence to happening sometime within this monarch's 19-year reign between 1135 and 1154. Although William of Newburgh was likely alive at the time the event is said to have occurred, he didn't write the Historia Rerum Anglicarum until 1196, at least 40 years after the Green Children were said to be found. It's clear from William's account that he was by no means an eyewitness, nor did he ever see any physical evidence of the event. The Mm. Green Girl, if she existed, had apparently already passed away before William looked into the matter. So William had only the stories of multiple people as proof of anything happening. This was enough evidence, however, to convince William, as he explains, quote, At length I was so overwhelmed by the weight of so many and such competent witnesses that I have been compelled to believe. Hmm. Kind of cool, unquote. Yeah. William tells us the children were seen to emerge from one of the wolf pits by reapers working the harvest, and they were caught shortly afterwards. He states that over several months, both children lost the green hue to their skin and learned the local language, and that both children were baptized shortly before the boy died. William's account is also the only source that credits the children with saying that all the people in their original home were Christians, and that Hmm. they had churches, and that they could see a bright country across a very large river from their original home. On the subject of just exactly how the children traveled from St. Martin to Woolpit, William quotes the children as saying, We only remember this, that on a certain day when we were feeding our father's flocks in the fields, we heard a great sound, such as we are now accustomed to hear at St. Edmund's, when the bells are chiming. And whilst listening to the sound and admiration, we became, on a sudden, as it were, entranced, and found ourselves among you in the fields where you were reaping. Hmm. By contrast, the Chronicon Anglicanum is a historic chronicle of important and interesting events that occurred at or near the Abbey of Cogshall, or Cogshall, from the time of its establishment in the early part of the 12th century. The bit of interest, authored by Ralph Radulfi of Cogshall Abbey, was written sometime in the year 1200. Uh, Ralph's account 
of the Green Children is presented in a section of the book featuring many fantastic stories that the author had heard and chose to write down. Hmm. In fact, the Green Children's story is sandwiched between a story about a merman and a report about some giant teeth that were discovered. God. <laughs> if this is considered with the fact that Ralph wrote his account in a minimum of 46 years after the Green Children were supposed to have been found, it seems a safe bet that Ralph was not an eyewitness to the events and is therefore merely noting an interesting story he has heard. Yeah. In Ralph's account, the girl lost her green hue, learned the local language, and was baptized only after the boy had died. And so it was, a, it was only the girl who was questioned about the origins of herself and her brother. As to the question of how the children traveled to Woolpit from their original home, Ralph says, quote, As they were following their flocks, they came to a certain cavern, on entering which they heard a delightful sound of bells, ravished by whose sweetness they went for a long time wandering on through the cavern until they came to its mouth unquote. upon exiting the cave the children were overwhelmed by both the excessive sunlight and the temperature of the air when found they tried to find the cavern they came out of but were caught before they could hmm. so what really happened two major explanations have emerged for the tale the first is that the narrative descends from folklore naturally yeah. describing an imaginary encounter with the inhabitants of a fairy other world right uh, in a few early as well as modern readings this other world is extraterrestrial and the green children <laughs> alien beings yes yep. naturally regardless of narrative this view holds that the tale is purely a work of fiction Scholars such as Charles Oman note that one element of the children's account, the entry into a different reality by way of a cave, seems to have been quite popular and actually remains so to this day. Yeah. Um, there's a uh, tr transformation of a character occurs usually by crawling through a tunnel. It's a rebirth. Anyway, that's another podcast. Gerald of Wales tells a similar story of a boy who, after escaping his master, uh, tunnels also represent death sometimes, uh, encountered two pygmies who led him <laughs> through an underground passage into a beautiful land with fields and rivers, but not lit by the full light of the sun. In a modern development of the tale, the green children are associated with the babes in the wood, who were left by their wicked uncle to die. In this version, the children's green coloration is explained by their having been poisoned with arsenic. Oh, geez. Fleeing from the wood in which they were abandoned, possibly nearby uh, Thetford Forest, the children fell into the pits at Woolpit, where they were discovered. The second uh, approach offers that it is that the story is a garbled account of a real event. Uh, so many Flemish immigrants arrived in eastern England during the 12th century, and they were persecuted after Henry II became king in 1154. A large number of them were killed near Bury St. Edmunds in 1173 at the Battle of Fornham, fought between Henry II and Robert de Beaumont, a third Earl of Leicester. Leicester? Leicester, I think. Leicester, excuse me. A third Earl of Leicester. Paul Harris, author of... The, it might be Leicester, I don't know. Leicester? Yeah, third Earl of Leicester. Whatever I one sounds best. I genuinely don't know, yeah. That's fine. I think we had a listener there just last week, so hopefully Yikes. they can at least clue us in. Um, if nothing else. Truly. Uh, Paul Harris, author of The Green Children of Woolpit, A Twelfth Century Mystery and Its Possible Solution, has suggested that the Green Children's Flemish parents perished during a period of civil strife and that the children may have come from the village of Fornham, St. Martin, slightly to the north of Bury St. Edmunds, where a settlement of Flemish fullers existed at that time. What is a fuller? A person who fulls cloth. Cool. What was the name of the town that they may have come from, you said? Fornham St. Martin. Fornham St. Martin. So they said they're from a place called St. Martin, right? 
Yeah. Totally. So like they just said, oh yeah, we're from that town. We're from it's that near town. where you are. They're like, that's a beyond <laughs> strange world. <laughs> and I, I wonder like, you know, if maybe they, if they didn't have their parents, they were lost or whatever. Maybe they um, were sick in some way, maybe jaundiced and like, maybe not full on green, but some just kind of unnatural color. Get a load of this. Um, they may have fled and ultimately wandered to Woolpit, disoriented, bewildered, and dressed in unfamiliar Flemish clothes. The children would have presented a very strange spectacle to the Woolpit villagers. The children's color could be explained by green sickness, mm. a hypochromic anemia, also sometimes called chlorosis, uh, the result of a dietary deficiency. Okay, there you go. Because I mean, they were super hungry when they got out. They had no idea how to eat beans. Yeah, which that sounds to me more like um like. I think it's probably presented as like, oh, where they come from, beans come out of the stock instead of the pods. Or something right. Like it's think, a little bit outlandish. Yeah. I think it's more just that they're kids. Like they're, they're little kids. They're probably traumatized or very disoriented. And, and they've maybe seen, you know, an adult harvesting beans before and know, oh, the thing I eat comes from that, but don't really know how it works. Right. Which is totally understandable. And yeah, I mean that if, if we, so we have our options here, basically we either accept it as a fanciful tale which apparently could have also been used as a means of othering in, you know, that period in Britain. Mm -hmm. But I also appreciate the potential for it just being a strange happening that can easily be explained by just a series of mishaps and Yeah, I I actually think I almost prefer the idea of it being like just a real occurrence that was just characterized by the only descriptions they could use based on just not knowing what was happening. Um, and then it sounding weirder in the retelling right. than it actually was in person. Right. Like if they were sick kids who had some kind of condition from malnutrition that was causing their skin color to be different. Yeah. Like over time that would change. Um, right. as like, yeah, as the, as the girl is having more of their local diet and just eating the food she needs, her body would readjust and she'd look like a normal person. It's, it's an odd one though. It's fun. So there's that. There you go. Or more probably. They went through some kind of cave following the sound of bells and and they found themselves they, in a different world altogether. That's right. On their way, they bumped into a strange man who was asking them how to get back to uh, Toreg. Yeah. Toreg. Toreg. I keep yeah. calling it Toreg. What's Toreg? That's a car. I think it's a, a Hyundai. It's a car, t- isn't it? Or something, yeah. <laughs> like a, a crossover or something like that. The Toreg. Oh, wait, no, that's a people as well. The oh, that's true. It is, it is also... A, Tuareg the name people. came from somewhere. Yeah, the Tuareg people. Is that a Pacific Island people? Mm, Berber ethnic confederation. Sahara. Oh, okay. Nowhere near Libya, where I was thinking. Southwestern Libya to southern Algeria. Traditionally nomadic pastoralists. That's cool. You know. Tuareg is T-A-U-R-E-D. Right. There you have Well, it. there you have some people from places that we don't know. When that happens, we get real confused. That's right. <laughs> It'd definitely be cool to explore more stuff to do with the possibility of alternate dimensions or parallel universes and stuff in future episodes. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Certainly, if you have a particular story like that that you really like and would like us to tell, or if you have any questions about what we have told, or if you have your own personal accounts of anything strange you'd like to share, let us know. Submit them to contact at superduperstitious.com or you can reach out through our Facebook group or our Instagram which is has the handle of superduperstitious. If you feel like also leaving us a, a nice review or rating on iTunes or Stitcher that would help us out a big big time. And uh, yeah, otherwise, 
happy new year yeah happy uh, new year let's all hope 2019 is less of a horrifying dumpster fire (laughs) than 2018 and hopefully a few days from the release of this we'll be back together in the uh, hell yeah quote-unquote studio recording things the same week they come out again oh my goodness i can't i can't hardly wait (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna have to wait like almost two months and a half yeah (laughs) holy shit well we'll see you then yeah (laughs) bye bye (laughs) 